0: You know, whenever I come back from overseas I'm always thankful to have a clean glass of water to drink. Um, And, uh, yeah, I certainly endorse uh, drilling of wells in third world countries. We've done a few in India and um, it makes all the difference. And um, it's part of loving our neighbour. If we've got clean water to drink, we want our neighbour to have clean water to drink. Right. And so it's, uh, it's very important that we do look, look further afield. Um, our neighbours are not just those next door. But they're everywhere. Um, isn't that right? And we've, um, Dean and I have just come back from uh, Alice Springs. It's not a place that uh, we normally travel to. Um, Met some great Christian people there. We went there with a view to um, seeing what's happening with ministry amongst the Indigenous people. And I'm told that Alice Springs has one of the largest percentage of Indigenous people in any um, town or city in Australia. Um, So that's percentage. Doesn't mean it's huge. It's just the percentage uh, in, in, in the town. But we met a lot of Christians who are working uh, with them, a lot of um, um, Bible translation. There are a lot of different languages uh, in uh, Indigenous culture. And uh, we spent an afternoon with um, an organisation that does some translation associated with Whitcliffe Bible Translators. They showed us one one complete Bible that um, uh, has been translated into an Aboriginal language and a whole lot of others that just have parts of the Bible translated, you know, the Gospels and, and whatever. Um, met others who were involved in training, uh, in evangelism, practical needs. Um, met uh, a couple, some of you might know them, um, Daniel and Katie Spackman. Um, I found out Daniel Spackman used to live down the, the bottom of the road where we live. He, he grew up, they're in Drysdale Avenue, and um, we spent an evening with them. They invited us for a meal, and it was great to, to, to chat with them, and they've got a real heart for ministering uh, amongst Aboriginals. And, and, yeah, there's a great need. There's a great need. I mean, whether you're Indigenous or you're not, um, we all need hope in this world. That's right. And... Um, Certainly the Indigenous people need hope. There are so many who, who have no purpose, who have lost hope, uh, who need direction in their life. And um, it's great to see um, so many who are keen to minister in that space. We went out to a place called Hermansburg, which is where the Lutherans started probably over 100 years ago. Uh, mission, the Finky River Mission. Uh, they're still hard at it. They're still out in the in the back blocks, um, training and ministering. A lot of Aboriginal communities, of course, live out in the back blocks, <clears throat> um, and so a lot of work happens out there. So we're encouraged to um, to hear and to uh, speak with um, those ones, and it, and it certainly gives you a greater understanding of, of how to pray and, and, and how to support um, that ministry, those ministries. There's still a lot more work to be done. and um, But yeah, I think for us, it's, um, there are probably a, a couple of connections there that, that, that will have ongoing connection, uh, but it will also really help us to pray um, and focus our prayers in those areas where it's needed. Discipleship is, of course, one of the big things and of course it's it, you know whoever you are around the world discipleship is key to um, to advancing the kingdom of heaven <clears throat> so if I were to ask you today how is your spiritual, spiritual walk with God? how would you answer that? is your Bible reading more intense today than what it was say a year ago? What about your prayer life? Your pursuit of holiness and purity. Is it more noticeable today than what it was maybe a year ago? Or have we slid into mediocrity without really knowing it? It's so easy to drift and to slip, isn't it? We might think that we're doing okay, but when we really examine ourselves, maybe not. So I want to talk about living above mediocrity and I'm sure all of us today would want to live above mediocrity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you want to see us grow. You want, us, you want to see us achieve all that you have for us. And Lord, we want to achieve that. We want to be at the heart, at the centre of what you're doing in the world today. And Lord, we want to be your disciples. We want to be your ambassadors and your people for this time in Jesus' name. You know, God began the work of transformation in our lives the day that we decided to follow him. And we see in the Bible various analogies of how God works in our life. We read about the potter and the clay. And the potter's at the wheel and he's got the clay and he's moulding it, shaping it. And that's what God's doing to us as well, isn't he? He's moulding, he's shaping, he's taking off the rough edges, making us more like him, more Christ-like is the aim. We also see the analogy of the gardener, pruning the branches, cutting them back to make them more fruitful. And you know, we're all as close to God as we want to be. If you feel distant from God, guess who moved? God didn't. So we're all responsible for that. And when I speak about mediocrity, I'm referring to you know, the attitudes of half-heartedness, of lukewarmness, of what's the minimum I can do to get by. That's what we're, we're meaning by mediocrity. And I think if we have no real goal or no real aim in life, particularly our Christian life, I think we're we are probably in that category of mediocrity because we've got nothing that's going to drive us and propel us forward. A man named Paul, he moved from nothing to where he was productive and living an abundant life. And he said some good words here in Philippians 3. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me brothers and sisters I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it but one thing I do forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus great words you know people who want to live an extraordinary life are those who want to raise the bar and Paul's raising the bar he, he says I press on in the Greek dioko it is reaching for the tape mm-hmm. so it's an athletic um, picture Paul says I'm going to avoid a mediocre life that I'm continuing to press on to raise the bar. And we need to be inspired and challenged. We need to have a vision that's worthwhile. You know, without a vision, the Bible says we perish, perish, we live carelessly. Um, There are a few other different renditions in different versions, but we do, we're aimless. And uh, it's so important to have that vision, to aim for something. And of course the sporting world, raising the bar. I remember at high school with athletics, you know, the the high jump, uh, the pole vaulting, the bar was always going up and until it got so high you couldn't jump it. But that was a challenge, to jump as high as you can. And all great athletes, don't settle for second best. When they go to the Olympics, they go for gold. Isn't that right? They go for gold. And indeed, Jesus is our ultimate standard. He set the bar for us. He's the Potter. He decides what's going to happen. He shapes us, moulds us for the particular uh, job that He has for us. And sometimes we do get too, too satisfied with a, a nominal, mediocre life. It's so easy to think, oh, it's all so hard. We don't want to push ourselves. We compare ourselves to one another, which is very dangerous. We're all made differently. We all have different um, capacities and different um, gifts, talents and ministries. And we shouldn't be comparing ourselves to each other but rather to Jesus and to get that vision of, of what's pleasing to Him. And the various ways we can raise the bar we'll discuss some of those get a compelling vision in your life, make disciples, read biographies of great men and women who have gone before us the Wesleys, the Careys, Livingstons, Wilberforce to name a few and that's not to ignore those in the Bible that we read about. The story of Wilberforce is a very interesting story. He was a young wealthy MP enjoying a very privileged life. He becomes a Christian at 26 and thinks he should give up the dirty business of politics. But two ministers counsel him and say no we believe you you should stay there. Ask God what He wants for you. Isn't that good advice? Ask God what He wants for you. Have we all done that? Have we all asked God what He wants for you? We will force praise for two years. Who's prayed for two years? God, what do you want me to do? What's my purpose? You talk to friends and colleagues. At 2080, he writes what is one of the most daring mission statements ever written, the abolition of the slave trade. Wow, that huge evil system that was going on at the time. 47 years later, three days before he dies, legislation was passed in the British Parliament to abolish slavery. He found and achieved what God had called him to and when Wilberforce became a Christian everything changed he got a whole new outlook he saw the world through different eyes when he looked at an African slave he saw that they're made in the image of God and they're valuable they're not a commodity to be traded and he felt you had to do something to change that evil system. And there are so many evil systems in the world today. We're partnering with an organisation that continues to try and stamp out slavery, the International Justice Mission. Um, They go into many countries around the world. Working with local police force, local justice agencies to bring justice to people who are enslaved in so many different ways. And so we as Christians, we can be part of breaking down these, these evil systems that are in our world today. When the gospel comes in, it changes everything. It should change everything. Mm-hmm. On uh, some of my earlier visits to India many years ago, uh, the pastor in, in Bombay that we, we're still associated with, he works in the slum communities. And he was lobbying the Bombay City Council to put piped water into those slum communities to put concrete paths in so they're not walking in the mud and many other things, toilets, so many of those slum communities don't have toilets. I think a lot of us have at least two in our house, don't we? Some people might even have three. Many people over there don't have any at all. When the gospel comes in, it changes everything. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God prepared for those who love him. Wow. The sky's the limit, isn't it? The sky's the limit. Do we believe it? Do we believe it? There's a great verse in 2 Corinthians 13, and the Living Bible has a great rendition. Because if the Bible has not changed you, then we need to examine ourselves. 2 Corinthians 13. Check up on yourselves. Are you really Christians? Do you pass the test? Do you feel Christ's presence and power more and more within you? That's 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. And it's going back to what I said earlier. You know, is our Bible reading, is our, is our pursuit of God getting more and more intense? Do we pass the test? Wilberforce gave himself completely after he encountered Christ and his worldview changed. And we know the evidence of that. You know, the, the gospel was dynamite, it is dynamite. In fact, Mahatma Gandhi, who wasn't a Christian, many years ago, said, you Christians, you don't know what you've got. You just don't know what you've got. You've got dynamite. And God has given that to each generation. He gave it to the generation of Wilberforce. He's given it to our generation. He's given it to us. To be those dynamic people with that dynamite. What has God put on your heart to bring change to the world? John Wesley was an Anglican clergyman. He became one of the most influential people of 18th century England. The culture of Great Britain was broken and debased. But from that period came a great evangelical movement of social reform, of evangelism, caring for the poor, the destitute. William Booth actually started off as a, as a um, Methodist minister and he formed the Salvation Army. Wesley had a motto, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Great motto. That's a great ideal for us today. Within 10 years of his death, one in every 30 people in England was a, was a Methodist. And... His legacy, the legacy of the Methodists, was attributed to the fact that England didn't have a revolution like the French did. I mean, the French Revolution was a terrible thing. England dodged that, if I can use the word dodged. Uh, It didn't happen there, mainly because of the strong evangelical and Christian influence of the nation through, through the Wesleys. Wesley held evangelism in balance with social responsibility. When people were born again, they had to show the fruit of their faith. That's not not uncommon to what uh, John the Baptist said to people who came out to be baptized in the wilderness. You've got to show your repentance. Show show the fruit of your repentance. If you've got two shirts, you give one away. Don't complain about your wages. Don't, uh, Don't extort people. So, this is the same thing. Wesley was saying, you have to love your neighbours. Go not to those who need you, but to those who need you most. There's a lot of, there are a lot of um, needs in the world, but before God, we have to work out where those critical needs are and where we need to target our um, energies, and uh, our finances and in the Wesley era, era they cared for the poor by establishing credit union schools um, and working for better factory conditions. They were, they were salt and light in their community and it showed. <clears throat> Here's a, uh, a true story that I'll just relate to you. A lecturer from a college in the USA took some students in 1940 on a brief visit to England including the Epworth rectory where John Wesley lived. Beside a bed bed in the rectory are two worn impressions in the carpet where it was said John Wesley knelt for hours in prayer for England's social and spiritual renewal. As the students were getting back on the bus after the visit, the lecturer noticed one was missing. Going back upstairs, he found a student kneeling in the carpet, knee-holes, praying with his face on the bed, Oh Lord, do it again, do it again. He placed his hand on the student's shoulder and, and said gently, Come on Billy, we must be going. And getting up, Billy Graham rejoined the other students in the bus and we all know uh, about Billy Graham, don't we? Mm -hmm. Mother Teresa, winner of the Nobel Peace Prize, a giant of love and compassion, serving the poorest in India. A note from her journal, towards the end of her life, says this. May I truly obey you, starting today, To be a carrier of your love and grace in a hurting world you know that's the characteristic of an extraordinary life a life living above mediocrity a fresh passion a fresh new desire and you know no matter the failures that we have in life um, you might be starting to read your bible and somehow you, you can't or you can only read a verse well, that's fine if you fail today you've got tomorrow you ask God to help you you keep going good, if you can't read a chapter of the Bible read two verses yeah. gradually as you go things change the Africans have a proverb and I think the Indian women would have the same proverb little by little makes a bundle <clears throat> African and Indian women you often see photos of them bundles and particularly bundles of sticks because they still often use wood to fire there for cooking and whatever and they'll go out early in the morning and they'll look for sticks there's one there, there's another, there's another and they'll walk for miles until they've got that bundle. Little by little makes a bundle and we just need to change something little by little so each day don't keep doing the same thing, but look for improvement. Want want improvement? Ask God, Lord. I I want to improve. I want to know you better. I want to understand you more. And um, little by little, if we do something, cultivate new habits, things will change. Here's another story from a Zimbabwean pastor, this writing was discovered among the belongings of a young pastor in Zimbabwe. The pastor had been martyred for his faith in Christ. The poem is aptly titled, Fellowship of the Unashamed. Here are the pastor's words. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed the die's been cast, I've stepped over the line, the decision's been made, I'm a disciple of his and I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, my future is secure, I'm done and finished with low living, Sight walking, that's walking by sight, not by faith. Small planning, smooth knees, colourless dreams, tamed visions, that's small visions. Mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, or first, or recognised. Or praised or rewarded. I live by faith, lean on His presence, walk with patience and labour by the Holy Spirit's power. My face is set, my gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road may be narrow, my way rough, my companions few, but my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I'll not be bought, compromised, detoured lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of the adversary. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up or let up Until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up and preached up for the cause of Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I must give until I drop, preach until all know and work until he comes. And when he does come for his own, he'll have no problem recognising me. My colours will be clear. Wow. Wow. This is the kind of disciple-first mindset that we need in the world today, isn't it? Wow. It considers the cost of making disciples. The time, emotion, effort and resources required. And we say wholeheartedly, it's worth it. Surely it's worth it to be that sort of a disciple for Jesus Christ. To live above mediocrity. To recognise that mediocrity is an enemy that, that probably stalks us every day. And if we're not careful, if we let our guard down, uh, it creeps in. So in conclusion, what are some ways that we can raise the bar in our own life? Prayer. I'll think of John Wesley and and the carpet worn out next to his bed. There's so many things we need to pray for. So many things. Marriage, families, government, persecuted church, labourers to be thrust out into the harvest field. A move of God in our hearts. The nation, the nations of the world, the poor, just systems and societies. The list goes on. So much that we need to bring before God the Lord in prayer. The greatest lack today is not people or funds says Wesley Jewel the greatest need is prayer. We can read inspiring stories of great men and women of God and I've mentioned some of them and we can reflect on the biblical examples as well which we all have in our Bibles. I've met so many inspiring people in my travels overseas and I've learnt so much from them. Most of us here would know Brother Andrew, he passed away recently. He followed the call of God and began smuggling Bibles in behind the Iron Curtain, the former Soviet Union. He said, we have to live a life that is more revolutionary than that of the revolutionaries we often all know and hear and read the fanaticism of so many people in the world today i mean communists are renowned for their fanaticism so many other freedom fighters they're fanatical in what they do brother andrew is saying we need to be more revolutionary than they and i think that zimbabwean pastor's story gives us an inkling of where we need to be we need to go to those who need us most the world's a big place there are many voices we need to listen to god and act we need to be discerning as to where we spend our time and our money and effort our resources There are many needy in the world, but who have the most acute need? I'll think of the unreached people groups in the world who've never heard the gospel. Many of us today talk about the second coming, so many have never heard of the first. The Bible speaks specifically about orphans, widows, the poor, refugees, persecuted Christians. We need to cultivate a biblical worldview. Wilberforce, Wesley, so many like them had a biblical worldview. They understood God's purposes and they were shaped by the teaching and commands of Jesus Christ. And those commands should be shaping our thinking every day. We all should take more responsibility, we should all step up, and I think the secret to abundant life is to go and do, there's a dangerous tendency for us to gravitate towards that which is easy and popular, to have a casual association with Jesus Christ. You know we can enjoy rousing sermons and it's good to hear a rousing sermon and get excited but we've got to do more than that we've got to we've got to have some action jesus said uh, well in the new testament it says without faith it is impossible to please god we need to mix the word with faith to bring action to 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 light that dynamite stick that's what that's what we need to do. Light that dynamite stick. Are we done and finished with low living? Small planning, smooth knees, colourless dreams. What are your dreams today? Tamed vision, mundane talking, cheap living, dwarfed goals, harking back to that Zimbabwean pastor. That's... that's belongs in the mediocre life if we want to live above mediocrity we've got to raise the bar we need faith to believe for greater things to go and do requires faith and so when Jesus comes back will our colours be clear will he be able to recognise us Will he find faith in us? And will we be those people who live above mediocrity? Let's pray. Father, we declare that we want to be your disciples in the time that remains. And Lord, we don't know how long we have, each of us. Lord, you've numbered our days. But help us to number our days. Help us to redeem the time. Help us to use what time that is left for your kingdom, for your purposes. Not to live in mediocrity, not to waste our lives with incidental, insignificant things. Lord, we want to be disciples who change the world. Lord, we think of Wesley, Wilberforce, so many who, in their time, through your power, brought change to, the, to their world. Lord, give us big visions, big goals. Take us to those who need us most. Cultivate within us a biblical worldview and help us to step up and take more responsibility. And give us the faith to believe for greater things, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.